Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Leonie Althaus. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks a lot. In this podcast, we talk to great founders uh, and we ask them the same set of questions in some domains that we believe matter tremendously for building a successful company. And those are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Leon, welcome again. Please tell our audience who you are and what you do and maybe why you do it. Hi, I'm Leonie, co-founder and CEO at Trade. Um, and at Trade, we are optimizing international trade processes with the power of AI. Um, we're working mostly with SMBs um, of all industries and what trade does, does is that it predicts the right product classification and compliant customs data for international trade processes based on the individual product information of our customers. Okay. And it's written T-R-A-I-D-E dot A-I, right? Right. right. Okay. Yes. Cool. So it's, I think it's a relatively new company. Um, so uh, you are you're a founder that is not, you, you didn't found this company 10 years ago or so. It's all fresh from fresh memories. Everything we will go through and probably some of the things that we discuss uh, are not yet fully um, like developed uh, at your company. But I think that's fair because we talk to founders who are around for a long time already with their companies, but also those who have made uh, some experience and are happy to share that. So thanks a lot for being here. And now we get started. People. If you would start your company today, what would be your first five hires? Yeah, so we're still there. <laughs> um, I would say highly motivated and experienced people um, who know what they're getting into and um, who did this before. So I think we are first-time founders and most of the learning um, has already been done by other startups and their employees. So um, happy to um, yeah, make less of these mistakes with experienced people. Um, yeah. And, and is, uh, is this the profile um, that your first five hires fit? Is that what you hired first? So honestly, we had to had some uh, interns before and uh, at the very beginning, and I wouldn't do this again. Um, so, but from now on, we're really focusing on more experienced people. Yeah. Okay. What would you say is the hardest hires of today? Uh, I think sales and engineers um, is difficult for us as for everybody else. Yeah, we're we're getting back to the sales topic a little bit later. But yeah. interesting is that not too many companies, even the B2B companies, do really have that like uh, on their agenda. Um, how, uh, looking at once you have people, how do you measure employee satisfaction? So we have two options. So we have um, every three months, we have a structured feedback. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, additional to this, we try to keep up with a regular um, Slack poll. Um, with five super easy questions regarding the current mood and the situation at trade um, for a more yeah more daily kind of um, certification of our employers. Okay, and for the three month uh, feedback, do you use any tool or is that just an open talk? Honestly, I, I took over what we um, developed at Art Night back then when I worked there. Um, and it's, it's more like an Excel sheet, um, but, but very, very structured with uh, every three months with a feedback and every six months with a development plan. Okay. Uh, looking at performance, how do you measure employee performance? 
Yeah, depends a bit on the role, but what works very good for us is, is um, to structure every week like a sprint in Asana. So we're working with Asana um, for our task. And at the beginning of every week, we discuss what we achieved last week and what we want to achieve in the next week. Um, and so everybody stays kind of accountable for their weekly goals. And this is what works for us because, of course, um, priorities changing quite quickly in our stage. Uh -huh. So you don't use the sprint logic only for your development teams, but basically across the whole team? Yeah. Okay. Um, how sh do you think should an organization be structured? Do you have a favorite type of org chart? Mm, honestly, not. But I think the most important part for me is that um, everybody has clear responsibilities and a re clear reporting line. So um, you know exactly who is in charge. And um, yeah, I think this is for me the most important part when it comes to organization structure. Okay. What's your approach to culture? Yeah, culture, it's tricky. Uh, so I think a good culture has to be created and that is kind of a lot of work and, and we really feel it um, in our team that we really have to work on it, on our culture. Um, due to daily tasks, this is something we are very good in sacrificing it, honestly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we try. So what we did in the last couple of months is that we um, have more and more fixed appointments where we're working in our founder team at our culture, but also to have like team events and very fixed dates where everybody has to be part of. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. Uh, some people see or, or believe that culture is something that just like reflects on what you are as a company. But yeah, I totally agree that culture is something that the founder team or the, the, the leadership team should decide what they want to have yeah. and how it should be. And, and then that's it's work. It's actual active work. Yeah, especially when you're like, we are very diverse when it comes to our founder team. So we are yeah. very different also because my co-founders are techies and they more introvert. Um, mm -hmm. So you really have to see where everybody feels feels good. Mm -hmm. Remote first or office first? Office first. I really love the office and I, <laughs> on, I also forced <laughs> a little bit the team to come more often to the office. Yeah, so I really love I, it. I hear that surprisingly often. So if you just like read through LinkedIn, you would believe that everybody is now full remote um, because that's very much like uh, communicated. Uh, but yeah. then I, I would say more than half of the founders that I'm talking to in this podcast actually seem to prefer the office. Uh, did this change over the last months or years for you or, or has it always been like that for you? For me, it has always been office first, um, but um, also, this is also something what is different in our team because my co-founders, they are, as I mentioned, they are techies, so they are more on the introvert um, side and um, they really need, for example, one or two days at home. Um, and I think it's super, it super depends on the personality. Tech. Would you call Trade AI a tech company? Yes, 100%. So um, we are 100% tech. I would also say maybe, in, especially in the beginning, we were kind of deep tech. Um, now mm -hmm. it is like, um, it changes a bit. Um, so we don't provide any additional service and we don't want to. So we don't want to become like a customs broker or something like this. So we're focusing 100% on the tool. Okay. 
Um, if you look at the two functions, product, product management and development um, on the other side, um, who of the two is in the lead? <laughs> yeah, so we just hired a new CPO um, to become more product driven. Uh, we, have, we have been quite tech driven so far. A lot of things have been developed from the back end to the front end. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I don't think this is like the best approach. Um, Probably so not. This, <laughs> so this is why we changed this a bit to become um, product driven there. And that product is in the lead. But, but they agree with you. They are, they are okay with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This, is, um, this was a founder decision together. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, in the day-to-day -day process, who decides what to develop next? Um, so far, um, we have done this in the founder team based on the market feedback and the te technical feasibility. Um, so looking forward, we want to make sure that product and sales is working very, very close together because mm -hmm. um, this is something where you can, where it often happens that there's a lot of blame or something like this and that everybody mm -hmm. wants to be in charge. So yep. this is um, something we want to focus um, on in the next week. Yeah, okay, excellent. Um, how does the, de the actual decision process then work? Um, so we have a leaner version of Scrum um, because we're not so far in our journey and um, the whole Scrum framework would be a little bit too much. And um, we have a predefined roadmap, which is based on our bigger vision of trade. And what we're also doing is that on a daily basis, we have two Slack channels. One is product feedback, um, where we gather all the input from our current customers. And then we also have product discovery, um, mm -hmm. where we gather all the input from the market and from our potential customers. And um, then we're trying to um, creating user stories out of it and um, prioritize this in our grooming meeting together. Um, so that we try to be, yeah, as near at the market as possible. Okay, thanks. What's your take on product-led growth? Oh, I think that depends heavily on the product and on the market. Um, when it comes to B2B, I think a sales or marketing team is kind of essential. Um, mm -hmm. I've just learned from uh, from very experienced CCO that... Um, 97% of the companies are not looking for a solution and most of them don't even know that they have a problem. So I think also <laughs> with the best product, uh, you yeah. yeah, you will not convince them because they're not looking for it. And yeah, so this is why I think, especially when it comes to B2B, um, product-led growth want to work maybe. Uh -huh. um, how about design? Which role does design play um, at Trade AI? Uh, yeah, actually, yes, I've been our first hire um, as a working student, like a design working student. Um, and still, we have a lot uh, to improve there. But um, I think now everybody is very, very used to very well-designed products from mm -hmm. our day-to-day -day life. So um, what we recognize is that also... Um, enterprise software is measured against this, these standards and also um, our consumers, for example, so our, our users, um, yeah, they really appreciate when it looks good and if it's um, well-designed. 
So yeah, one hundred percent. I think important. it's it's a matter of looks and also of usability. And I yeah. I, mean, I don't know if SAP is a good example, but I know that um, I mean every everybody from a younger generation when they when they get into enterprise software in a company where they go to, and uh, yeah, and it looks just like uh, like two thousand ten. Uh, they, they just they just run away. It's it's um, yeah, and that, that's understandable. That's just like not up to today. But cool. still, SAP is such a thing for most of the companies, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you ever outsource software development? And probably, what would your co-founders say about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so not for our core product or um, yeah. our core competence, um, but um, I think there are certain tasks we also already thought about to outsource it. Like, for example. Um, integrations or something something like this. Yeah. Um, this is something we we would definitely um, consider to outsource, but nothing what is really important um, and part of our core product there. So for integration, I guess because one is it's a it's a timely limited task, and second because there are probably experts who have done that before with with other tools, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is so. I think you should, especially in the early stage, you should really mm -hmm. focus on where is your your core competence and um, yeah. where you're best at. So, yeah. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel from building a brand, then having marketing for, I guess, creating leads, sales to convert them, customer success to sell on, keep customers happy, etc. Do you have all these functions already today? Um, no, we don't have. <laughs> no, we don't have them all. Um, so far, it all has been founder sales and I was in charge mm -hmm. for everything. Um, mm -hmm. Now, as we just um, closed our first funding, we're starting to grow there and we just implemented a customer success. Um, mm -hmm. Lila takes over like all our current customers and um, makes sure that everybody is happy there and gets support. And um, also, we now starting with content marketing and um, starting with our sales department. So um, we also hired somebody for the role as head of sales there. Okay. If you had all these functions, because I guess sooner or later you will build them up, who do you think should be in the lead for commercial success? Should it be come from the brand? Should it come from marketing? Should sales be in the lead for, for, for having commercial success? Who do you see in the lead here? Yeah, so I think this depends on the product. For us, it um, will be um, marketing and sales, maybe in, especially in the beginning, sales even more than marketing. Um, mm -hmm. So this is what we also planned. Um, and um, yeah, so but I think it is, depends heavily on what company you're building and which product you want to bring to the market. Um, for us, it's sales. Because sales is the most direct in touch with the customer and can probably, with the with their feedback, give the best yeah, information to all the other functions on on how to pros, progress, I guess, right? Right, especially as I mentioned, um, I think a lot of people don't know. Um, so, for example, Adtrade is very very new um, approach for customs, and so most of the companies or most of the people in the industry don't even know that there are possibilities to change the problem um, or to change the process so now if you have uh, more complex sales cycles than let's say selling shoes on the internet 
uh, and you have sales, you have marketing for lead generation, you have product, etc. How can you make sure all these functions <clears throat> don't blame each other in case the revenue doesn't pour in as, as planned? How can you avoid uh, silo thinking here? Good question. So <laughs> um, we haven't um, had this problem so far in the team. Um, this is something, but it just at the moment, like product and growth. So um, I think in the, um, yeah, going forward, we, um, I think it's important to develop a culture where everybody feels accountable for and responsible for the all over, for the um, overall goal of the company. And um, also don't only say where are the problems, but also make suggestions for the other teams there. So I think a lot of um, transparent communication is key. Um, and also there are like the smaller things um, like coming together in team events on um, to really have like a team fit, also a team feeling also between the teams um, mm -hmm. beside, beside the work um, to have more like a personal contact there. Um, this okay. is something I would try. Okay. How important is brand for you? Uh, generally speaking, I think brand is super, super important, but we haven't done there a lot so far. But what is um, very interesting, um, custom, the customs industry is not too big. And um, what we recognize that we are already quite good known in the customs industry as a tech player or innovative player. Um, also because we really, um, we really try to communicate um, more the tech part than the customs part there. So, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so how do you approach brand as a topic? Um, we implemented very, very early a framework, like a brand framework, like a design framework. Mm -hmm. um, and customs is not like the most sexy topic of all topics. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this is why we really try to, to brand um, trade more as a tech company and as a tech startup. Um, mm -hmm. for the market, for the customs market, but also for um, our hiring, for employer branding there. Um, but we don't have like a really like a team for it yet. And we also haven't planned like a really like a certain brand team. I think this is something we will implement at a later stage, maybe in one or two years. Which marketing channels do you use and why those specific channels? Um, at the moment, we're working a lot with content marketing and with uh -huh. webinars um, to bring kind of expertise into the market, um, especially because we are focusing a bit on e-commerce and retail. So they don't have too much customs knowledge there. And um, there are a lot of um, courses out there for classification or for trade customs data. Um, this is something where you can really um, get a lot of leads from. Um, but um, there's also even more things we can we can um, explore. Uh, Follow-up question: How do you spread your content marketing? Is it mostly on LinkedIn, newsletters, or which what which to, uh, which platforms or so are you using there? Yeah, we have a newsletter, um, and we yeah. also spread a lot of on LinkedIn. And it mm -hmm. what was really interesting that it works very very good very quickly mm -hmm. so it was um, kind of easy to get a little bit of reach and uh, really looking forward to the next weeks what we can uh, achieve there uh -huh. okay 
What's your thought on performance marketing? Uh, some people, like our CMO, say it's dead or it's dying soon. Uh, what's your take? <laughs> so I'm really not a marketing genius, but uh, probably. Uh, so ChatGPT will change this. It will be really a game changer there. For example, I really start to a lot of things I would Google. Um, mm -hmm. or I had I have Google before. I just write into ChatGPT. So I think uh -huh. this will like, especially in the future when it gets more into when it gets more mainstream. I think mm -hmm. um, this will really change the um, the performance marketing there. For example, yeah. So I think. That's really funny because um, it it has been uh, not too many, but a couple of weeks that I have recorded the last episode of this podcast. Um, and during that time, the whole ChatGPT hype actually really took off. And uh, therefore, you are the first one to mention that. Uh, but the others just yeah. didn't have a chance because it wasn't just like so so present uh, back then. So hopefully but everybody yeah, I, will remember this, how smart <laughs> this was. <laughs> the smart person who first mentioned ChatGPT. No, but absolutely agree. And I had the same phenomenon, actually. Yeah. Um, sales. So you do have sales people already, right? Yeah, so we hired the first one, but she will start mm -hmm. in one or two months. Yeah. 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 So the, the 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 most difficult question: Where do you find good digital savvy salespeople? I don't know in scale, um, <laughs> but <laughs> we uh, for for the, for this one we um, I, it was hard work. It was just LinkedIn. I mm -hmm. looked for um, specific positions or for the right people and reached out to them um yeah very direct and it was uh yeah it was a lot of work but it was worth it sure. definitely i don't so we didn't get too many good applicants um through everything else so this for us worked very very well um let's see in the future we also had already contact to some agencies um Did you ask ChatGPT to to phrase the message that you would write to these profiles on LinkedIn? <laughs> so I just tried honestly um, ChatGPT three weeks ago, and we uh, the hire was made before. <laughs> ah, <okay. laughs> But um, I I did this with some mails, and I think yeah. it's awesome. So I was I it was is. really surprised by ChatGPT. You can say yeah, make it a little bit more nicer and a little bit cooler and a little mm -hmm. bit more like this, yeah. Yeah. Because to be honest, most uh, most uh, sales and most uh, recruiting messages that you receive on LinkedIn, you, you you see by the first two or three words that somebody's trying to sell you something, a job or, or a product. And, yeah. uh, and I think probably something like OpenAI can really, really help you, I guess, to make <laughs> that a little bit more smooth. Data. Um, how does data make trade AI successful? Oh, so I think a trade is one of the most important things. It is like core part of our product, having high quality data um, to train our models. Um, yeah, so this is why it's super, super important for us. Um, we also started quite early to um, track, um, to have data from our, from our, from our product itself. Um, but there we still have to improve um, to really um measure the right things and the right kpis so that that uh, makes the whole data topic a little bit more special for you because for many companies data is there basically as a marketing support function but for you it's really at the core of your product so i guess most of your product like most of your teams probably work heavily with data yeah 
as also because everybody is involved, right? So um, because, for example, I in very in the very beginning or and also now, I'm responsible to get like data from from companies or from our customers to train our um, models. Then, um, of course, Philip, my co-founder, he's responsible for the AI. Um, I think like 80% of his day is just data and um, AI and also the other departments. So we, so for example, our head of customs always check the quality of our data. So everybody's kind part of, of this whole data funnel and um, data quality. Okay. The next question is a little bit driven from uh, from some discussions I had with our own data team quite some time ago. And they were always saying um, that they are there to answer specific questions and not to explore data. And I'm not sure if I really agree. What's your take? Should, should your data team answer specific questions that somebody asks them? Or um, are they free to explore data that, that are available in order to identify opportunities? I think both. Um, I think they are definitely there to um, to also to to answer specific questions from other mm -hmm. teams because otherwise, so this is where the decisions are made, and then we make better decisions. But also, we have so, for example, um, Philip is explores a lot when it comes mm -hmm. to data because this is something where really um, where where we create value. Because the, not everything is straightforward when it comes yeah. to, what, to what we are doing here. So um, I think both, but they definitely, so Philip definitely has to answer a lot of very specific questions. Okay. <laughs> um, now you have an organization, you have a lot of uh, data-driven or data-based uh, information. How can you make sure that people really act on that and don't just like put it aside and in the end decide by gut feeling? Good question, <laughs> because we haven't figured out yet. Uh -huh. um, also, we have a lot of data and we measure a lot of things and still a lot of, yeah, um, a lot of um, decisions are made on a gut feeling. Um, mm -hmm. I think what is super important to have like a, um, a place where you gather all the data and you structure all the data and somebody is responsible to also review everything and um, I think and make it easier for everybody else on the team to interpret um, and to use the data. And mm -hmm. I think this is something which is a lot of work actually. Uh -huh. Do you know which uh, tools and or infrastructure um, you use in that field? Not everything. I think there's a lot of things I don't know um, because, but I know that we're using for the for the whole team. We're using MetaBase, so everybody can okay. have a look at it. So we have yep. like a um, reporting there, um, KPI reporting of our data, and then there is also a lot of things in the back end. But honestly, um, this is something which is more on Philip's side, and he um, then have additional data which he will provide to the team. Um, with analysis and interpretation, um, especially also for the data from our customers when we analyze them. Okay, and Philip, uh, what's Philip's role again? Is that one of your co-founders? Yeah, Philip is okay. co-founder and responsible uh -huh. for the AI. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you don't have a huge data team yet, as I understand, right? Um, the people working on data, how are they structured? What's their relation? What's their positions? 
There's, yeah. there's Philip as your co-founder. Who else? Yeah, Philip as our co-founder. Um, he is the CIO. And mm -hmm. um, then he also has a working student, a data working student. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Henry takes care of the metabase. So, but um, at the moment, they are just Ozan and Hendrik in the data team. Okay. And uh, therefore, it's basically in your organization, it's on founder level, C-level, basically on top level. But that will probably also stay like that, right? You wouldn't like at some point have a larger data team and that reports to on, on third level to, I don't know, a, a person below the CTO or so. But, it, but it's so core to your product that it will stay on the, on that level in the main responsibility, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It will definitely stay in the C level and um, it will always be a very, very big part of trade. And um, I think this will maybe be in the future the um, the, the trickiest hires. Um, at the moment, it was engineers and sales. But in the future, I think to find AI people or data people will be even more um, tricky. Okay. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity in your opinion? So we uh, don't. Uh, so we process only little to no personal data. So it's whether one or the other. Um, so I just we try to keep it in mind and to make at least the minimum there. Um, mm -hmm. But um, for us, it's not a big topic at the moment. Um, for me, it's more a struggle. I would say if I have to decide, then an opportunity. Okay. All right. Um, I guess for some companies where uh, it is like essential to deal with personal data um, to to actually like uh, be compliant here can turn into a uh, competitive advantage. But yeah, I see how for your product, it's for you, it's more affecting the tools that you use, the ways to approach potential customers, etc. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. Environmental, social and governance. Um, why didn't you, instead of your company, start a core ESG company? So um, we haven't, so unfortunately, we haven't liked too much. So ESG hasn't the highest priority in our company at the moment. Um, so I think because we're quite early um, in the future, we will definitely, um, this will get more attention from us. But at the moment, we don't have like, yeah, worked on it too much. Um, do you do anything internally in order to help the environment? I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do. It starts with like uh, uh, properly separating uh, waste, etc., like uh, heating, etc. Are there any things yeah. that you do? Yeah, I think we we're doing like the the normal things, like the little things that also have like a big impact, like turning off like the heating when we're leaving the office, and also over the weekend. Um, we're always taking the train um, when, we, when we're traveling um, and mm -hmm. we're also thinking about to um, um, paying the public transportation ticket for all of our employees in the future to mm -hmm. um, yeah, support this because I'm a big fan of, this, yeah, of trains and public yeah. transportation. I think this makes a huge difference um, if everybody would uh, leave the car where it is. Okay. How about social aspects? How do they um, play a role in the way you run your business? I think what is we have a very, very international and diverse team, um, which is awesome. And this is something we're really focusing on, um, especially also because I really um, enjoy working with other women. Um, so this is something what is kind of natural to us to have a diverse team. And um, yeah. Okay. 
And then looking at governance, uh, any any governance criteria that that are already um, higher on the agenda for you? Not really. So Hendrik is a very big fan, like of data protection. Um, mm -hmm. He really likes it. It's just like a passion of him, I think. <laughs> um, so um, he does everything there, what is like possible with a small team and makes sense to us. But other than that, we don't have um, a lot of um, governance criteria in our team. Okay. Now you just mentioned that you that you closed the round. Uh, when when a company mm -hmm. nowadays is looking for funding, um, what's your impression? Is that on top of mind for investors? Do they ask for ESG criteria, <clears throat> or would they rather say, "No, you are early stage. Just go out and find find a market, find customers, and start making revenue." So they haven't asked us, and um, this was not in the, in the finance round. It wasn't an important topic, so nobody asked us, um, uh -huh. and we had a lot of calls. But um, now, um, looking forward, they force us, or they really want to see um, effort there. Um, at the moment, they're okay. kind of tolerant, and they also say, okay, you're quite, quite small, and you're really at the beginning, and you're just raised, and you now have to focus on the team and product market fit and sales. But um, it is also in our contracts that we have to um, have effort there and um, have to um, do things to in the ESG um, sector. Okay. You don't yet have an ESG officer or a similar role at Trade AI, I guess. No, we don't have. So um, we maybe this will be someday, but there's also, I already had a look at great tools out there. So I think this mm -hmm. is also something what is um, what is maybe better than a person for it. Okay. Um, if you had a person or you just allocate the responsibility for it, if you solve it otherwise, where do you think... Should the per uh, person sit in the organization who who looks after ESG? Um, I think also the C level because it's like with I think it's um, similar to cultural work to cultural work. Um, it is uh -huh. something what gets easily sacrificed for um, other things, which seems like being more crucial to the business. Um, and this is why I would say it always has to be. Um, there has to be someone in the C-level who's pushing this topic and who's really responsible yeah. for it and who really um, also enjoys to do it and um, holds the company responsible. There. Thank you very much. And that brings us to the last three questions. Number one of these is, which is the one podcast you recommend all founders to listen to? Uh, yeah, so I think um, it's by Digital Compact. Uh, I really like the, them both. Um, like mm -hmm. um, the art of sales and business building. Um, mm -hmm. For me, they were very, very helpful, especially um, when you're a first-time founder. I think there are a lot of, um, yeah, important learnings and a lot of, like, a lot of topics there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then, what are your top two pieces of advice for other early stage founders? So, um, hire excellent, motivated people and experienced people, I would say. I think this is super, super yeah. important. And maybe stay away from LinkedIn as much as possible because <laughs> it's a little bit toxic there and you just feel bad. Uh, so, I already <laughs> failed at both <laughs> advices, but uh, I would say this is, would be my top advices, which 
come up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just can you say one or two more words regarding the uh, toxic of, of LinkedIn? I heard that a lot about all kinds of other social media platforms. Not so much about LinkedIn yet. I guess I understand, but can can you explain elaborate a little bit more on that? I think it's uh, everybody is just like writing like bullshit and over bullshit there, and um, then you just see how happy everybody yeah. is. It's not how happy, but how successful everybody is and that everything is awesome. And also if they, they, they're writing about fuck ups or something like this, it's still don't feel good. And um, yeah. so you always feel under pressure um, when you look at um, LinkedIn. And I think when you then talking to the people, most of the things are just not true or bullshit or um It, it really is in real life it's very very different um to linkedin and you always feel yeah some kind of pressure to to work even more or whatever um yeah. yeah yeah i copy that um and the last question um who are the two other founders i could ask this set of questions and you could make an introduction for me um yeah probably um Amy from Artnet, she was my mm -hmm. uh, she's my former boss, and I really um, enjoyed working with her. Um, she's a, even a little bit longer in the game of startup. Um, and then Antonia Sock um, from Ivy Techs, I just met her at a dinner, and she is really really nice, really awesome. So um, I would say these um, women are really really awesome, and you should talk to them. If you haven't okay. done. Yeah, no, no, I didn't yet. So okay. I'm looking forward to the introductions. Anything you want to pass on? Any uh, type of talent that you're looking for at the moment? Any open positions? I guess funding you're not looking for because you just did around, if I understood that right. But uh, anything you're looking for? Customers, uh, developers, anything you yeah. want to mention? <laughs> yeah, so um, we are still um, hiring, of course, engineers, um, mm -hmm. full stack. Um, okay. And um, yeah, this and of course also customers. Um, everybody who is um, in international trade, um, consumer um, brands, or also um, e-commerce, um, very very welcome. Just reach out to us if you have any problems with customs um, and international trade processes there. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Leonie. I wish you all the best for you and for Trade AI. And that's it for today, folks. Uh, thanks a lot for listening in. We appreciate your interest. If you want to know more about Project A and all the stuff we are doing on both the investment side as well as on the operational side, please just go to project-a.com where you find a lot of reference cases, use cases, our podcast, <coughs> and really thrilling investment stories, etc. And for the podcast, If you want to hear more of us, please subscribe to this podcast, rate it, review it, share it with colleagues, friends, and families. And that's for it for today. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.